the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into Hour 2 this Friday. It is a delight to do so with Rabbi Pinchas Salush. Rabbi, welcome back. One of the busiest men in town. Deservedly so. He's one of the most needed men in town. He is the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah, colloquially known as CBT. He is also the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, is how he spells his last name. You can get the Rabbi Alush podcast at Apple Podcasts uh, at his congregation, CBT. All are welcome, Jewish or not, observant or not. Rabbi, welcome back. Uh, we had a little bit of break for the Thanksgiving holiday, although you had a wonderful podcast on it. And just to get you um, ecumenically adjusted, today is the first day we are deploying the holiday music, so you will hear some Christmas music as well as perhaps some Hanukkah music. That's just fine. <laughs> Based on the random music generator that we deploy here. <laughs> That's just fine. Thank you. It's a pleasure being back, Seth. It's great having you. Tell us about your son. Well, um, last I heard of him was yesterday. He's doing well. He's still in Gaza. And um, from what I hear also, the fighting has resumed. So um, we pray that he and all of these brave IDF soldiers be safe and protected and victorious. You have a lot of uh, friends in our community of listeners and uh, a lot of people who don't know you yet, but they pray for your son and your family. So if you'd like to give out his name once again, that would be yes, more that than means, appropriate. Yes, it means a lot. Thank you to, to everyone praying. And please pray not just for my son, but for all of his peers, all of the IDF soldiers. His name is Israel Mordechai Chaim. And uh, in Judaism, the tradition is to also say that he is the son of his mother, and his mother's name is Esther. So Israel Mordechai Chaim, the son of Esther. Israel Mordechai Chaim, son of Esther. That's correct. Uh, Israel is, and uh, Mordechai kind of brings us into the Parsha of the week, really, if you think mm-hmm. about it, in um, in the story we read from Genesis, uh, because the daughter of, uh, uh, well, uh, sorry, the son of Rachel and Jacob is Benjamin. That's correct. And he brings us Mordechai down the line, if I'm not mistaken. Very good. That's right. All right. We're done here. (laughs) Seth, you could be a rabbi. (laughs) We're done. Saul and Mordechai, perhaps? No, that's correct. Yes, Mordechai comes from the lineage of Benjamin, who, as you mentioned, was the son of Rachel and Jacob. Yeah. And, um, you know, they share something in common, both Yisrael, the father, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel in this week's portion, and Mordechai. And uh, what they share in common is that they stood erect Mm -hmm. in face of adversity Mm -hmm. and uh, fearlessly Mm -hmm. they engaged their opponents with might, with determination and conviction Mm -hmm. 
so that goodness can prevail. Yeah. This is from Genesis 33 in in, uh, Jewish practice every uh, Saturday, which is the Sabbath. uh, They read a portion of the Torah or Bible, and it's this portion in Genesis 33 today that the rabbi and I were just speaking of. There is a lot going on here, and uh, we can talk a little bit. Actually, let's just, as long as we're there, we'll dive right into it, if that's okay with you. One of the most interesting things I was focusing on it is, uh, yes, of course, the transferring of the name from uh, Jacob to Israel and what all that entails. Uh, Jacob wrestling with the angel. Most people know a little bit about that story. But also this fascinating um, phrase, Benoni, Mm. that is given about the birth of Benjamin. Right. You want to say a word about that? Benoni, child of suffering, maybe? Right. The, so Oni in Hebrew has two meanings, okay. the son of my suffering, uh-huh. but it also means the son of my strength. Okay. And it's quite interesting because Jacob wants to name that son Ben-Oni, mm-hmm. and Rachel corrects him and says, no, his name will be Ben-Yamin, which means not the son of my strength, of my suffering, but the son of my right hand or right side. Mm. Now, what is happening here? And in short... They are not really having an argument, especially during that moment when Rachel is dying. She died at childbirth. Giving giving birth to to, uh, Benjamin. That's correct. But what they are really speaking about is the Jewish way of approaching suffering. Mm -hmm. When we have – when we are experiencing suffering as Rachel was experiencing at that moment during childbirth, as mentioned, she died shortly thereafter, uh, Benjamin – was uh, called Benjamin by Rachel because she wanted to tell Jacob, don't wallow in the suffering. Don't wallow in this pain that my death will create. Instead, transform it into a springboard for growth. Mm -hmm. Make it your right side. Mm -hmm. And this is why Jacob is telling Rachel, on the one hand, yes, I am suffering. I can't escape my emotions of pain. Ben Oni, this is the son of my suffering. But on the other hand, I hear you, Rachel. I will ensure that he becomes the son of my strength. Mm -hmm. And eventually I will name him Benjamin to remind myself of your message that even though we may be in pain, we must be able to transform tears into triumph, pain into gain. That's beautiful. Thank you for that, Rabbi. Um, There is suffering um, in the world. There is suffering. Sometimes we ask God why we seem to have to suffer or be put in a place of suffering. But perhaps one might think of there's, a, there's, there's often a righteous find in that suffering. There is something good that is supposed to come out of it. Most learning comes from failure. My friend Tevi, um, whom you will know of, at mm-hmm. least, was telling me, he kind of sees in this story, and I'll, I'll get it not as articulately as, as he has once told me, but he sees in this story kind of a a modern analog to what's going on in Israel right now, if you will, that there is obvious suffering, but it is for a strong and great result. Mm. I wonder if that resonates a little bit. That's right. Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's true on an individual level. I would challenge all of your listeners to think of the moments in which they grew the most in their lives, Mm -hmm. and they will probably point, just as I would, to the moments in which they suffered or were challenged the most. Mm -hmm. Those tend to be the moments that make us grow. And uh, what's interesting is that what is happening right now in Israel is indeed 
you know, painful. times of painful. very painful, yeah. very painful times of suffering. Yeah. But on the other hand, they've made us grow so quickly. Yeah. We were, dare I say, and I, I am I'm saddened to say this, but we were a divided nation Correct. before October 7th. And all of a sudden, with uh, this war that was thrust upon us, we've become so united, so strong. Our enemies, I think, are trembling in uh, the face of this unity. And um, it has brought the best in us. And uh, it is what really will make us win this war versus evil. Yes, because God wants probably as much as anything, if not more than anything, I always put the caveat whenever I speak on a religious matter in front of you, always correct me and feel free to whenever I get something off or wronger. God wants us as much as anything or more than anything to get along with one another, right? To be united and love one another. Hine matovum and I'm, how wonderful it is when we dwell together, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's right. You know, we see That's that. That's a psalm, by the way, I think. <laughs> That's I think, right. I think, uh, you, yeah. You're right. Okay. Yeah, it's Psalm, if I'm not mistaken, 133. Right. But um, the the message is also very clear in the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because uh, during Noah's time, God brings about a flood to destroy humanity. Right. But then we go back to our old ways of corruption mm-hmm. after the flood. Mm-hmm. And that's when we built the Tower of Babel in order to conquer the heavens and uh, become stronger than God, as those people of Babel say. Yet God did not decide to destroy that tower to destroy those people. Mm-hmm. Why is it? All he did was that he gave them different languages so that they wouldn't understand one another. But why not destroy them if that is your formula, if that was your formula up until then? If corrupted people get destroyed, as Noah's flood shows us, then destroy those people too. And the commentaries immediately point out that that's because they were united. Yeah. People of Bavel were united in purpose, in a terrible purpose mm-hmm. of, of erasing God from this world. But still, they were united. And with that type of unity, then God can't destroy uh, those people. Maybe as we go to the break, one of the messages we want to contemplate is the notion that where there is suffering and when there is suffering, obviously, if you can help, help. But try when you are perhaps the recipient of it or the victim or the person involved in it, try and find the holy purpose in it. Mm. Right? Very well said. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's the meaning here. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest, P-I-N-C-H-A-S, Alush, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest, head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah. We have him in here most Fridays uh, as we like to um, kind of send people into the weekend with slightly less political and slightly more meaningful thoughts getting into a Sabbath frame of mind. And we usually do them in, well, at least half the year we do them in the third hour, but uh, because of sundown, we play this, these interviews in our second hour now, Rabbi. So again, good to see you, and thank you for making time for our audience. Of course. Thank you. It's always a pleasure yeah. being here. Making time for our audience and us. We all learn from you and uh, get great uh, great nourishment from you. Um we were talking about suffering. Let's talk now a little bit, uh, as, as, as learned from the, the birth of Benjamin, uh, from his mom, Rachel, or Rachel, Rachel. Um, let's now talk about Rachel's husband a little bit, Jacob. Fascinating, fascinating character um, who also goes through an awful lot. 
And yes, his name becomes Israel, and we are known as the children of Israel. Talk to us a little bit about why Jacob's name becomes Israel and what that means. Right. It's an interesting episode. It's maybe one of the most interesting, I would say, fights or battles in the entire Bible. We read about it, as you mentioned, in this week's portion in which Jacob finds himself alone on the other side of the bridge. And there an angel comes to him and wrestles him all night long. Eventually he's victorious and he tells the angel, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And the angel then says to him, well, from now on, your name will not be Jacob. Rather, it will be Israel, because Israel means that you have been wrestling with people and you have been able to prevail. That's the blessing that he receives. And the angel goes away and Jacob is reunited with his family now as Israel. It's interesting, though, because uh, even though his name was changed to Israel, still God and the Bible itself still calls him Jacob thereafter. And that maybe is really where the lesson hides, that Jacob, just as all of us, really had two facets. There was the Jacob facet and the Israel facet. Jacob means heel. There's the facet in which we feel low, like a heel. We feel maybe uh, a little under uh, undervalued. We feel like there is nothing good that can ever come out of us. But then there is the facet that is Israel, and that's when we wake up in the morning full of confidence, thinking that, yes, today we will conquer the world and we have all of the gifts and all the talents to do so. What uh, those two names really represent is that, look, there are times in which we are Jacobs, and that's just fine. But remember, don't just be stuck in the mode of Jacob. You're in Israel too. And if you want to win the challenges of life, then first and foremost, look at yourself in the mirror and see an Israel there. See someone that is indeed endowed with all of the gifts and talents that God has given him or her to conquer the world. If you see yourself as Israel, you'll also be able to prevail like an Israel. It's fine to be a Jacob, but remember, Israel is what will make you successful in life. And this notion of struggle, struggle with God, um, I wonder if this is the touch point, the baseline, the benchmark of this notion within Judaism that we've discussed before in the Hasidic view of things that it's okay to argue with God, you can't ignore God, you can argue with him, you can't ignore him, you can obey, you can argue, but you can't ignore. Jews themselves can be known as uh, those who question question um, what is, question one another. There are great debates amongst the holiest and smartest of rabbis in the Midrash, in the Talmud. Um, is this where it comes from, this notion that, this this notion of argument and struggle and questioning with, does it does it come here or is it something, or am I putting too much on it? Maybe? No, you're right. I mean, I think it, it connects to even more of a general theme, and yeah. that is that we shouldn't be afraid of challenges. Yeah. Uh, whether they are challenges that come in forms of questioning, yeah. or whether they are challenges that come in forms of, you know, essential life challenges. Don't run away because I know that, you know, psychologists will tell you that the immediate reaction is fight or flight. Yeah. Here Jacob, or Israel rather, presents a different approach. Don't just fight. Of course, don't f- flight. Don't, don't flee. But don't just fight. Go and 
overcome this angel until you can uh, you can you can suck out so to speak a blessing mm-hmm. from the challenge mm-hmm. just like Israel, Jacob does right he wrestles all night long then his name he's changed why because he told the angel I'm not letting you go this I wasn't here just to fight I was here to then draw a blessing from this fight yeah. and that's that's really the the third approach that Israel introduces to mankind no don't flight don't flee don't fight but go and overcome yeah. the challenge so that it's transformed into a blessing and like suffering take something from it meaningful right exactly he suffers a physical wound too jacob does and there's a lesson from that to this day about what jews are forbidden to eat from that a little bit i think yes that's correct yes he suffers and he limps the rest of his life because of this uh this injury this fight he had in the sciatic it, nerve. Yeah, right, that's no. correct. And therefore, until this day, uh, Jews do not eat the sciatic nerve of uh, the kosher animal that they uh, may enjoy. Um, but there's something deeper here also. You see, the sciatic nerve is what connects or is what is a part of the lower body, not the upper body. Mm-hmm. And here it's almost as if God was telling Jacob, look, you saw yourself as a Jacob until now, and that's not good. Remember, you have an upper side of the body. You have a head. You have something that's much greater. You know, unfortunately, um, you know, one of the authors these days, I don't know how much you like her or not, Marion Williamson says that we're most afraid, not of our failures, but of our successes. Yeah, I know this, right, yes. And, and it's, it's a very good point. Jacob was afraid of his successes too. Yeah. And God says to him, stop, I'm going to injure that Jacob because it's time for you to own your successes, to own your Israel side, to own your upper body, leave that lower body behind. And then you'll see that that Israel can achieve that which the Jacob will never be able to achieve. Yeah. I, I was just thinking it is the sciatic. Now, so many people have sciatica. You know? They have <laughs> right. pains, back pain. Yeah. pain that maybe yeah. they think about, well, this is, this is you know, I'm, I'm, to, I'm to learn from Jacob right now. Mm-hmm. to learn, maybe turn, turn that pain into that, that kind of a holier thought if you can, if you can. Um, let me talk, too, about something with you with regard to Jacob, about the lessons of where he was with regard to wandering, if you will. Rabbi uh, Jonathan Sachs, who I like so much, asks, Why is Jacob so venerated? Why are we the children of Israel? Why are we B'nai Yisrael? Abraham, Moses, Solomon, others seem greater than what Jacob did. But Judaism is about a journey. In the Bible, we are in X and forced to move to Y continuously. To be a Jew, Rabbi Sachs writes, means not to be fully at home in the world. To be a Jew means to live within the tension between heaven and earth, creation and revelation, the world that is and the world that we are called to make, between exile and home, universality of the human condition, and the Jewish identity. Jews don't stand still except standing before God. The universe, from galaxies to subatomic particles, is in constant motion. And Jacob is why we learn and venerate him from this. Can we do that when we come back? Absolutely. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Salush is my guest. We're talking about a portion in Genesis that people will be reading in the Jewish faith that we'll be reading tomorrow. It's roughly in Genesis 33. 
Talking a little bit about Jacob, uh, the former chief rabbi of Great Britain, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, says, writes, Jacob has his most intense encounters with God. They are the most dramatic in the whole book of Genesis. In the midst of the journey alone at night, as you were saying, far from home, fleeing from one danger to the next, from Esau to Laban on the outward journey, from Laban to Esau on his homecoming, Jacob is someone with whom we can identify. Not everyone can aspire to the loving faith and total trust of an Abraham or to the seclusion of an Isaac, but Jacob is someone we can understand. That's mm. Yes, you know, it's, it's, uh, well, those words are very, very powerful. But it's true because they speak to really the essence of the human condition. You see, we constantly fluctuate between Israel and Jacob, as we mentioned, yeah. between our successes and our failures, or maybe between heaven and earth, as Rabbi Sachs puts it, or maybe more practically speaking, between our good moods and our bad or lower moods. Sure. And uh, the the struggle is almost never-ending. It ends when we die. But here comes the story to teach us that Jacob's really never achieve greatness. Jacob's certainly don't create continuity. Israel's do. Yeah. And if we wish to indeed create continuity, achieve greatness, and uh, maybe even fulfill the purpose for which we were created, then we ought to be Israel's much more than we are Jacob's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder, too, if this, if in this story I could be a Zionist for a moment mm-hmm. about where all this is taking place. Shechem, Bethel. People say Jews don't have rights to these places. Mm-hmm. They know them as Nablus or Ramallah. Before they were Nablus and Ramallah, they were Shechem and Bethel. That's very well said. May I? Am I? Can I say that? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Who's you the know. colonialist here? <laughs> Look, uh, it reminds me of the Peel Commission. Yeah. You know, the Peel Commission yeah. was led by Lord Peel of Great Britain, who yeah. came to interview both the Jewish leaders and the Arab leaders in nineteen. Uh, when was it? Nineteen thirty-seven. Yeah. And uh, he went to some Arab leaders, and they said, "Well, what?" He asked them, "What's your right to this land?" Arab leaders took out a deed in which they showed that their parents or grandparents purchased this land. When they came to David and Gurion, they said to him, well, what's your rights to this land? You were born, after all, in Poland. And David and Gurion took out a Bible, and he slammed it, according to the story, on the table in front of Lord Peel, and he says, well, that's my right. And that's the right of the Jewish people, as you'll read in this book. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting. If you read about these places today, Nablus, for example, always described as the Arab city of Nablus, and uh, people need to understand it's it's Shechem, as we're reading about. Nablus comes from Na- Naples, Naples, Naples. That's it was named that by the Romans, and because of the pronunciation, Naples became Nablus. I like the rabbi who said, "If anyone, maybe, if anything, maybe we should return it back to the Italians." <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well said. Look, I mean, I don't mean to sound too controversial, but truth is truth. Look, the holiest city in Islam is Mecca. Right. I don't hear of any uh, United Nations forum asking uh, Mecca to be turned into an international city, right. so that all sorts of Arabs, both Shi'is and Sunnis, right. and all. Arab countries can go and worship Mecca. Right. Uh, the holiest city in Judaism is 
Jerusalem. Yeah. And uh, that in of itself should be quite telling. Yeah. Yeah. And as we know, there's, there are other cities here at, at, at play as well. Uh, in about 25 days, uh, Christians across the world will be celebrating one of their most uh, holy and important holidays. And uh, it all comes out of a place called Bethlehem, mm-hmm. which is also in this area. Interesting how hard a time the Christians have had in Bethlehem of late. It has been emptied year after year of Christians because of the lack, shall we say, of, if nothing more than that, tolerance. Hmm. Yeah, well said. Not from the Jews. That's correct. I know this firsthand because I will tell you that one of my good friends that I went to school with is right now guarding Bethlehem from all of these evil people. I'm yeah. trying to destroy it. Yeah. yeah. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about the podcast from last week, which we missed, which is about what we're thankful for and the holiday upcoming of Hanukkah. Rabbi Pinchas Elish and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Elush has been our guest, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, host of the Rabbi Elush podcast on Apple Podcasts. We're going to do a lot in this uh, segment together here. Let's... Go backwards and let's go forwards, if we can, Rabbi. Backwards about a week, because we didn't have you last week due to the Thanksgiving holiday. You did a wonderful podcast on what to be thankful for. Mm-hmm. And uh, it shouldn't be confined to one day or one three-day or four-day weekend. Um, your message was drawn from a great Hasidic scholar, my, uh, uh, Rabbi Levi Yitzhak Berdichev, a great Hasidic figure. Um Stop running. Stop racing. Right. And it was also inspired by uh, my, my daughter, who um, received a gift from a friend. And, of course, my immediate question was, did you say thank you? Yeah. And then it dawned on me because we teach our children to say thank you for what they receive from the outside. Yeah. But what about saying thank you for what they already possess, what they already have from the inside? That we don't really teach much. But that's what I think Thanksgiving is all about. And the idea, the concept of of gratitude is all about saying thank you for that which we have, all the blessings that we have. You know, uh, the the great Lubavitcher Rebbe that uh, we've mentioned now many times was once approached by a lady who was complaining about almost everything. And he said to her, look, I want to juxtapose two different people in front of you. One of them is Adam the first human being, who was really the owner of earth. He was the biggest, say, the, real, the biggest real estate owner in, the, yeah. in, the, in yeah. the history. Yeah. Um, and uh, opposite him stands a, a man who survived the Holocaust. And while in the Holocaust, he really had nothing. Yet every morning, that man, when he woke up, he said the Jewish prayer that we say each and every morning as soon as we open our eyes, the prayer of Modeani, in which we say, thank you, God, for restoring your soul in me and for having great faith in me. Now, juxtapose that man, the rabbi told this woman, with Adam. Adam had everything. He really had everything. Yet what is he obsessed about? That which he does not have, the tree of knowledge that he cannot eat from. And that eventually leads to his failure. Mm-hmm. This man in the Holocaust had nothing. Mm-hmm. And when he woke up, he felt like he had everything. So he said, Modani, thank you. Mm-hmm. And he concluded, look, you can have everything, yet have nothing. Mm-hmm. And you can have nothing, 
yet have everything. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of perspective. Yeah. And that's what we should be teaching our children, that they really have everything. They have all of the blessings that they need today, and they should be thankful for them, not just for the blessings that they will receive in the future. Boy, I am, I am just I'm, – I'm, I'm frozen on this notion you can have everything and have nothing at the same time, everything that doesn't mean much mm-hmm. and nothing of that which does mean a lot. We know a lot of those people. Yes, yes. and They're sad people. Yes, absolutely. That feeling of entitlement there, I say, yeah. certainly leads to great misery. Yeah, yeah. That's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on that one a lot. That's good. It might, in a way, get us to the story of Hanukkah, which starts next Thursday. That's correct. Thursday evening is the first night of Hanukkah. It's an interesting holiday in this respect. Most people who aren't that religious or observant but who would count themselves Jews, the first thing when asked about Hanukkah by others, they will say it's not that important of a holiday. Turns out you ask an Orthodox rabbi, they'll say it's a very important holiday. Yes, that's right, because of the message of Hanukkah, yeah. not just the story of Hanukkah, which yeah. in and of itself is a, is a great story. Yeah. But the message of Hanukkah is that if we believe, to go back to what we spoke about before, if we believe in our Israel facet, if we believe in the power of our soul and the light of our soul, then any darkness can be con- conquered. Or as one of the great rabbis put it, a little bit of light can expel a lot of darkness. Mm-hmm. That's really the message of Hanukkah, in which we see that there was a small group uh, that barely had any military experience, the Maccabees, who were threatened by the Greeks, by the Greeks who wanted to Hellenize their country, Israel, and at the same time— Make the Orthodox not Orthodox, effectively. If that's what—yeah, yeah, exactly. So to speak. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so to speak. Exactly, yeah. exactly. No, absolutely. And then and full, you know, eradicate the values yeah. of Judaism. Yeah. And they stood against them, against all odds. Yeah. And they believed in the power of their souls and the power of their lights. And they were able to conquer them, you know, victory after victory after victory, until they were entirely uh, victorious. And uh, when they celebrated the victory, as the story goes, and as we know also from the Talmud, they went to rededicate the Jerusalem temple that was defiled, not just by the idols of the Greeks, but also by prostitutes and so many other terrible things. And uh, they were looking to light the menorah, the great symbol of the temple. They couldn't find a cruise of oil that was pure to light it with until they find just one. It was supposed to light for just one night, and it lit for eight nights or for eight days. And that's why we celebrate Hanukkah for eight days, and we too light the menorah. But again, here we see, maybe on a more spiritual realm, the power of light. And I, indeed, a little bit of light can expel a lot of darkness. And in the half a minute or so, 45 seconds we have left, that's very nicely summed up in your weekly newsletter, where you say this is really one of the few holidays that sh- focuses shifts the focus from the self to others. Mm-hmm. That is what light does. Yes, that is the purpose of the light. That's right. That's right. Light. To be a light. Look, to be a light during the day is easy. Yeah. Because everything yeah, around nice. us, everything around us is illuminated. Yeah. But Hanukkah is really f- facing darkness. That's why we light the menorah at night, because that is our raison d'etre, so to speak, a reason of being, to go out to the darkness of the world and be those lights. 
so that the darkness eventually is expelled by our lights. Now, what does it mean? It means good deeds, being good examples to our children, uh, fusing their lives with good values, fusing the world altogether with good values, and most importantly, not being afraid by the darkness because light is so much more powerful. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thanks for being a light. <laughs> Thanks for being with us Thank today you for and every light, week. Sir. And uh, may you and your family, especially with your son in our prayers, be happy and healthy. And we'll see you next week. Amen. Thank you so much. You sir. betcha. Portions of this show brought to you by the good people at Y Refi, great corporate citizens in our community who have a great investment, a secure investment that actually helps people. At Y Refi, you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. Ton of flexibility. You're in control. You can turn your income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like. Absolutely no fees peace of mind in that there is no attack on principle if you ever need your money back and you get a monthly statement with no surprises. As I say, a secure and collateralized portfolio. Check them out at investyrefi.com. Invest, the letter Y, then refy.com or call them at 888-YREFI-24, 888-YREFI-24. Folks all over the country are earning a high fixed rate of return with Y-REFI. They don't care about what happens with the stock market or the Federal Reserve because with Y-REFI, it's not related to it. And you can do well by doing good. I love this notion of a light being a light, whether it's a country or an individual. I guess in Isaiah, it's, the phrase is actually about countries, light unto the nations, or le goim, or as light unto the nations, or light of all nations. And... Um, we don't uh, close close our show here with this hour, but uh, with what I want to talk about to Pete Peterson, who's going to join us next, who's on a, at a conference, a fabulous conference on making men moral, maybe we can think of ourselves a bit that way, not only as a country, whether it's the United States or another country like Israel, to be a light upon the nations. We as individuals should be a light amongst our community, um, that Hebrew uh, rendering of it, oral going, we think of as yes, nations, but also can be people, and 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 that's why I like having Rabbi Alush in here so much. He reminds us of who we're supposed to be, uh, whether Jewish or non-Jewish, who we are supposed to be, and this is a country, the United States of America, that provides that opportunity. It provides the opportunities to do good and to do well, and it provides the opportunity through our freedoms and through our independence to do not good and to do unwell. We kind of know what the right thing is to do, most of us, thinking about my monologue from yesterday and a little bit of what I said in my monologue this morning, uh, in the first hour, um, about, uh, about the teachings of morality and how we can't have a civil society. We can't have civility if we operate in fear, if we tolerate crime, if we think that morality doesn't matter. So stick with me, stick with us. Pete Peterson will join us when we come right back. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.